Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. Thanking you so much for joining us today for the broadcast. Well, today is actually part two of a message that we started yesterday, and I want to share just a couple of things with you before I actually get into the message itself, and that is, would you please join me in praying for the church in Nigeria? The church in Nigeria is facing persecution, and uh, this is kind of an ongoing thing for them, and one of the things that always impresses me about the church in Nigeria is that every time that we pray for them, uh, we have a pastor friend over there, Pastor Friday, and uh, Pastor Friday Nunn is a great man of God. He loves the Lord. He comes to the Hampton Roads area once, sometimes twice a year, and uh, we always have him at our church. We always have him go into the prison to talk to the guys at Indian Creek. But Pastor Friday, I remember one time we were having a prayer conference, and we actually got him on the phone, and I said, well, Brother Friday... How can we specifically pray for you? And every time I'd ask him that question, he would say, well, pray that the church will be strong, pray that the church will be pure. And uh, and I asked him one time off the phone when he was visiting, I says, how come you never ask us to pray that the persecution will stop? He said, well, the persecution is not bad for the church. He says, it actually purifies the church. So pray for the strength of the church in their times of persecution. You know, that's such a true statement when I think about it. You know, as I talk to churches that sometimes struggle, and and, and their biggest struggle is not with pressure from the outside. Their biggest struggle is pressure from within. That's why we pray fervently for the unity of the church. You know, if somebody gets turned sideways within the side of church, they can do much more damage to the church than somebody coming from the outside. God has built us in such a way that we should be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ within the body of Christ, joining together to fight the enemy. The enemy will attack from the outside and wreak havoc on our church, but we're safe if we bond together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, praying for the church in Nigeria, here's just a couple of things that Pastor Friday asked us to pray for specifically. Uh, number one, pray for the persecution in the church, that the church will remain pure. Now, there it is, the purity of the church. He prays that the Christians within the church will manifest the love of Christ to our persecutors. Now, that's coming what what Jesus told us to do, right? Pray for our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Pray that God will soften their hearts so they can see Christ. Do you get what they're asking us to pray for? The church in Nigeria is asking us to pray that those who are persecuting them will have their hearts softened to the gospel and they'll be saved. Pray for the kidnapping to stop. Pray for the atrocities that are taking place in Nigeria and all those who are wanting to overrun the Nigerian government and turn it into an Islamic state. Pray that that will not happen. Pray for the president to encounter God or to be removed. Now, that's a bold prayer, isn't it? That the president of Nigeria will get saved or God will remove him. Number six, he asks us to pray for the upcoming events. They've got a women's conference. They've got an economic empowerment conference. And one of the things I love about the ministry that Pastor Friday has is that in this particular ministry, uh, not only is he sharing how to be saved, but he's also sharing how to make a living. You know, I love the fact that the gospel saves us, but it also teaches us how to live. Pray for the purchase of equipment for the church at Nigeria. And they want to do some mass evangelism, and they need some equipment for that to happen. And then lastly, pray for the continuous protection from the attacks of the enemy. Well, what a great opportunity to pray. So, Lord, we just thank you 
for all that Pastor Friday and his wife Precious are doing. I pray a prayer blessing upon their ministry. I pray for protection. I pray for provision. Lord, would you just step right in in the middle of that and do your work in bringing people to a saving knowledge of you. We pray for these upcoming conferences. We pray for this need for equipment. We pray that you will allow them to continue to grow, continue to start churches so that the word of God may be proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me in praying for Nigeria. Well, today we're going through the subject of why should I trust the gospel? There are four things that we're going to look at today, two of them we already kind of looked at yesterday, and we're looking at Romans chapter number one. So we're going to look at today the power of the gospel, Uh, then we're going to look a little bit at the proof of God's existence. Thirdly, we're going to look at the process that we go through when we reject the gospel. And then thirdly, or fourthly rather, we're going to close off the program today by talking about the problem of worshiping creation. Well, let's talk about the power of the gospel first of all. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And I notice he begins by talking about a negative to bring about the positive, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He's really saying, I'm very proud of the gospel because of what it has done for me. Now, listen, I want you to know that when you get saved, the gospel does this. It peels back your life layer upon layer upon layer. When you were saved, that was the beginning of the process of God doing a mighty work in your life. It wasn't that you just got saved and that's the end of it. It wasn't just a Sunday morning experience. When you are saved, your life begins to change one layer at a time. Your mind changes, your heart changes, your finances changes. Everything about your life changes. Your habits change. That is God peeling back layer after layer after layer to get you to be more like him. That is what the power of the gospel can do for you. So lives cannot be changed by the gospel If the gospel is weak, I need grace that is greater than my sin, and that grace is found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We also learn that lives cannot be changed by the gospel without faith. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And then we looked yesterday at the proof of God's existence. We looked at Romans 1 verses 18 to 20, and there's basically two proofs that God exists. Number one is our conscience. That conscience is a part of our mind that says there's certain things that you should do, there's certain things that you shouldn't do, there's certain things that are right, certain things that are wrong. Uh, Your conscience can be your friend, but your conscience can also be your greatest enemy because your conscience can make you feel guilty. Uh, That's what the gospel comes in. The gospel comes in to set your conscience free, to relieve you of condemnation. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and that'll be a few months down the road, but Paul says that we are not condemned. Christ has set us free. The gospel sets us free from condemnation. We also learned that God reveals himself to us, not only through our conscience, but also through creation. God created this world in such a beautiful fashion that it manifests his glory. Now today, we want to take it a next step. We've talked about the power of the gospel. We've talked about the proof of the gospel. Now, thirdly, we want to talk about the process that we go through when we actually reject the gospel. Romans 1, verse number 21 to 23. Paul says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal man. A mere human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Now, what do you think about this passage? Paul says they knew God, but they didn't glorify him, nor did they give thanks to him. Now, I can't reject something that I know nothing about. Creation and conscience is God informing me that he's alive, sharing with me my need for salvation. I know this creation was not created by man. Sorry, we are just not that smart. We're not that powerful. We're not able to create something out of nothing. Now, mankind has created some amazing things, but we've always taken something that God has provided to create it. Now, everybody listening to me right now was created by someone else. You didn't create yourself. Everyone listening to me right now knows there are certain things that are right. There are certain things that are wrong. We may disagree on what is right and what is wrong, but we don't disagree that some things are right and some things are wrong. So the Bible says here they knew God, but they did not accept him. They rejected him. We also know that they rejected him because two things were being exemplified in their lives. They neither glorified God, nor did they give thanks. So when we stop glorifying God, when we stop becoming grateful or thankful to him, there's nowhere else for us to go except to start glorifying ourselves. Now, this is nothing new, right? You go back to the fall of Lucifer, the son of the morning star. Why did he fall from heaven? He fell from heaven because he wanted to be God. He looked around and said, man, God's getting all the worship around here, and God created Lucifer. And Lucifer was probably the third highest reigning angel, and he convinced a third of the other angels to fall around him uh, to try to overthrow heaven. Now, what was Lucifer's problems? Not only did he want to be glorified, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to take the place of God. He no longer appreciated the fact that God created him. Now he wanted all the glory that was going to God to go to himself. I guess we could say he became overrun with jealousy. He no longer appreciated the fact that God created him. He wanted the glory that God received. As a result of that, we see that a lack of gratitude is a sign that the gospel is being rejected. It's not a sign of lack of proof. I mean, the proof is astounding. Well, maybe you're asking yourself, well, if that is true, why are so many smart philosophers atheists? Well, in an interview not too long ago in The Stone, which is New York Times philosophy blog, Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga was asked, why do you think so many philosophers, presumably rational people, why do you think they are atheists? Plantinga's answer shows profound biblical insight. He says, you know what? I am not a psychologist. So I don't have the special knowledge here. Still, there are some possible explanations. For example, he says, Thomas Nagel is a terrific philosopher. He is an unusually perceptive atheist. And he says he simply doesn't want there to be any such person as a God. And it isn't hard to see why. For one thing, there would be what some would think was an intolerable invasion of privacy. I mean, if there's a God and and he's all-knowing, he's going to know everything about me, the good and the bad about me. God would know my every thought long before I even thought it. For another, my actions and even my thoughts would be a constant subject of judgment and evaluation. 
So Nagel says, I choose not to believe this kind of God. He goes on and says, I want atheism to be true. And I am made most uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people that I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, how did he get to this point? He got to this point by rejecting the gospel. Listen, when I don't accept the gospel, I create my own gods. And amazingly, these gods that I create look an awful lot like me and God's creation. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying they became futile in their hearts that were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became foolish and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to be made like mortal human beings. Paul is saying when a person rejects the gospel, they are accepting another gospel, which is really not a gospel at all, but is a gospel that revolves around me and I create a God in my own image. Now, isn't this amazing how God created us in his image? And when we reject him, we create gods in our own image. In other words, we begin to worship ourselves and we begin to worship creation more than the creator. That's exactly what happens when we reject the gospel. So when I don't accept the gospel, I create my own gods that look a lot like me and look an awful lot like God's creation because that's what I am worshiping. Somebody put it this way, whatever I worship, I will try to become. As you try to worship God, you're going to try to become more like him. Now, notice how he said that, more like him. You can never become him. But if you don't want to worship the God of the universe, the one who created and sustains all things, you will create a God which is to your own likings. Well, there's one final thing we've got to cover in the broadcast today. We talked about the power of the gospel. We talked about the proof of the gospel with our conscience and creation. We talked about the process that we go through as we reject the gospel. And and primarily that process is twofold. Uh, Number one, we start glorifying ourselves instead of glorifying God. And number two, we become ungrateful for the things that God has given to us. As a matter of fact, I don't think I have met an atheist who I would say ranks high on gratitude. Most atheists are not very much appreciative of what they have. Uh, They are not thankful for what they have. And as a result of that, they are very frustrated and they try to work things out in a a different manner. But there's one final thing we're going to look at today, and that is the problem of worshiping creation. Because everybody's worshiping something. The question is not, am I worshiping something? The question is, what am I worshiping? Everybody is worshiping something. We make a choice. By faith, we worship what we most honor. And oftentimes, uh, that is ourselves, right? I don't know how Paul talks about a man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought. In other words, you ought to think lowly and, and, and soberly about himself. And so when you think about that, it's a, a walk in humility. I guess it must be awful hard to be walking in humility if you think somehow that you are a god. Uh, if you think that you are the center of the universe and that everything revolves around you, I would call you a person that is a globehead, right? <laughs> the globehead is a person that thinks the world revolves around me. Now, that's got to be a miserable existence because as I look at my problems in life, I realize that I am the one that has created most of the problems that I have in my life. Well, let's talk about this problem 
of worshiping creation. I will go down to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies and for the inappropriate relations with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and they served and created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Now, this is some hard teaching here. Not that it's hard to, to understand. It's, it's hard to, to accept. God giving people over to their sinful desires, the desires of their hearts, and, and one of the ways that is manifested is by sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies with one another, exchanging the truth for the lie. So when we refuse the truth about the gospel, we choose a path that takes us further away from God. You know, not too long ago, I was uh, at Lake Gaston, and my family and I were spending some time together, and, and uh, we had uh, a friend that let us use their lake house, and, and we went out on a boat, and as we came back, the first thing I did as I got off that boat is I tied that boat up to the dock. I made sure it was secure, because I found within, within a matter of seconds, if that boat wasn't tied to the pier, even if there was no wind, that current would slowly take that boat away. It had to be tied to the pier. I find the same thing is true about my relationship with Christ. When I refuse to follow that path that he has given me, when I choose not to be tied up with him, I will slowly drift. You see, I believe it's a great mistake today to think that the gospel is nothing offensive. There is an offense to the gospel. It's a part of the gospel that a lot of times we, we try to shy away from it, but Paul didn't shy away from it. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23, 24, and 25. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. And then he says, that's a stumbling block to the Jews, and to the Gentiles, that's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser then the wisdom of man and the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. Now, I want you to know something about the gospel. If you reject the gospel, you feel like the gospel is, is foolishness or you feel like the gospel is hopeless. There's no need in believing the gospel. But I want you to know the gospel has the power of God unto salvation. Paul says here, that those who reject the gospel are eventually given over to sinful desires of their hearts. As a matter of fact, this is not the first time that we see this happening. Way back in the book of Genesis chapter 6, it says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man and it was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was continually only on evil. Now, we're not too far off from creation here. I mean, the creation accounts given to us in Genesis 1 and 2, and we discover by Genesis chapter number 6 that God is going to destroy the world because of the continuous wickedness on the hearts of everyone, everyone except for eight people, Noah and his wife and his two boys and, and their two spouses, but everybody else was given over to wickedness. And so God says, okay, you're, you're giving over to wickedness, so I'm going to give you over to that wickedness. I'm going to have you handed over to judgment. Now, this same word, ironically, uh, that word gave them over is three words in English, but actually one word in Greek, and that one word means to be handed over to judgment. That same word is used elsewhere in the book of Romans, and it is used to describe 
Jesus Christ being delivered over by God to the judgment of sins. Paul writes that Jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions in Romans 4.25. Now, this verb that is used to describe him giving over to the judgment of God is the word that was found on the cross. Jesus, as he's on that cross, he takes all of the sins of humanity upon him. When that is done, God gives him over to the wrath that his son is going to take on our behalf. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.32. Paul says that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over. Talking about Jesus. Jesus was delivered over unto the most stringent judgment imaginable for our sins upon the cross. He suffered under the full force of a holy wrath of God, and he died in the place of sinners. He was abandoned by his father upon the cross, and he was damned to hell because of the sins that were placed upon him. Now, these were not sins that Jesus committed. These were sins that were placed upon him as God gave him over to his wrath. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, one of the seven sayings that he offered up was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God had to forsake his son because God's wrath was being poured on his son and God could not look upon sin. So God gave him over. Now, we go back to Romans 1.24, it says, therefore, God gave them over. Who is Paul talking about here? He's talking about those who repeatedly reject God, and they are being in danger of the similar judgment that Jesus faced. In other words, there is one sin and one sin only that God cannot forgive you of. It's called blaspheming the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Holy Spirit. When you're exposed to the gospel and you say no to the gospel, you begin to lose glory to God, you begin to lose thanksgiving, you begin to worship the creation more than the creator, you begin to worship images created in your own image. When you get to that point, a very dangerous thing happens to you. That's why salvation is so important. I beg of you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, make today your day of salvation because I don't want you to be eternally separated from God. You might think about how, how terrible hell is. You know, the worst thing about hell is not the fact that it's a place where the worm never dies. It's not the fact that it's the place of eternal torment where there's eternal flame. Hell is called the bottomless pit. Uh, there's no bottom to hell. You're going to constantly have that sensation of falling. All those things are, are horrific. But the worst thing about hell is that Jesus is not there. There's no opportunity for me to receive the gospel if I die without Jesus Christ. Paul says here that God hands them over, gives them over. What is he saying? He's saying if you die without Jesus, the wrath that was placed upon Jesus will be placed upon you. That wrath that God hurled upon his son will be hurled upon you because you've rejected that free gift of salvation. It was offered to you. I mean, Jesus paid the price for your salvation, but you said, no, I choose to save myself. I reject that gospel, that blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe in the course of a person's life, the Spirit of God speaks to them. He speaks to them through creation and through their conscience, and then we make a decision. You say, well, what about those people who have never heard the name Jesus? I believe that God gives them enough information based upon their conscience and based upon creation that if they, will, if they will follow through, that God gives them more revelation. 
Uh, that's why you look at these Islamic countries, and they're seeing these unbelievable miracles taking place. Why is that? Because in many of those countries, we can't have missionaries in there. The gospel has been prohibited. As a matter of fact, there are 66 countries in the world today that say no to the gospel, no to the Bible, but God is still revealing himself through creation, through conscience. As you think about rejecting the gospel, God giving a person over to sinful behavior, that's a terrible place to be. Why don't you share the gospel with somebody today? Maybe you are born again. I think that most of the people listening to this broadcast probably are born again. But are you praying and sharing the gospel with somebody today? As a matter of fact, this past Sunday in my church, I asked people to text me the name of people that they are praying for for salvation. So I'm going to do something that I haven't done before in the broadcast. I'm going to give you my personal cell phone number, and I want you to send me a name of somebody that you love that you want to see get saved. Here's my cell phone number, Calvin Corbett, 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. And if you will send me a name of somebody that you are praying will be saved, I will add that name to our prayer list. And on Thursday morning, 5 a.m., we will keep that person on our prayer list and keep praying for that person to be saved. And I want you to know that when that person gets saved, I hope you call me and shoot me a text and, and tell me that person got saved. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. That number again, my cell phone number again is 252-267-2365. Shoot me a text and we'll add that name to our list. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.